Welcome to the I-29 Moo U Dairy podcast. I-29 Moo University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. On today's podcast, we are discussing the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. I'm Kim Clark, Nebraska Extension Dairy Educator. Joining me today is Fred Hall, Iowa State University Dairy Extension Specialist in Northwest Iowa. Greetings, Kim. It's fun to be part of this first I-29 podcast. Well, thanks for joining us, Fred. And also joining us is Jim Salfer, Regional Dairy Extension Educator at the University of Minnesota. Hi, Kim and Fred. It's fun with this COVID lockdown. Now we're all remotely, so we're like many people are sitting in front of our computers. Uh, but I hope everybody enjoys this podcast and hopefully they'll learn something in the process. So I mentioned that we are talking about the Coronavirus Food Assistance Program. Uh, Fred, you've done a lot of research on this program. Can it give us a summary of what this program is and how it helps um, dairy producers? Well, this is one of those programs that just, you know, has got all the moving pieces kind of under one shed. Uh, still a lot of clarifications coming about. We do know that because it is a federal program, it's going to be uh, applied to through your local FSA office. Then sign up will begin on the 26th of May. So, you know, producers need to at least kind of be aware of it. Uh, it's kind of unique. Uh, it's coming from two funding pathways. The CARES Act will uh, be your primary funder, about $9.5 And then the Commodity Credit Corporation will uh, be how they provide funds for production in the from the second quarter. And that's about $6.5 billion in existing funds. It's interesting to note that it's just focused on the first two quarters of 2020. And I don't know if that leaves the door open for another application at the end of the year or third quarter or fourth quarter, but, but it does have a, a focus to it. Mechanically, what it looks like is that uh, you'll get an initial payment of about 80% of your eligible production, and then you'll get a second payment, and they're estimating 20%, but if funds are exceeded, remember they cannot go into a deficit budget system, so it may be prorated to ensure that they stay within their, their budget. Uh, Fred, that's one thing that I noticed about this act as well, or this funding as well. Um, I appreciate USDA paying out the 80%, so they're operating within budget. The other part that I noticed that was interesting is that uh, for the first quarter of the calendar year, they are making payments based on your production times um, $4.71. And I, as I thought about that, um, that really helps to make up for some of the difference we saw from the drop in milk price 
over the first quarter of this year. Is that is that what you saw as well? Exactly. That that's used to it won't make everybody well, but it'll at least you know help. Uh, the other thing is these payments that they're going to move right along. I've not always seen our, our federal system move this fast, but they are saying at this point that you know you could see some checks going out shortly after the first. So you know if they can make it happen. The other thing I'd point out is if you look at you know, the calculation for the second quarter production, they're not multiplying it by just your production, but it's actually by a, a 1.014. And that is allowing for the natural increase we see uh, in milk production over the course of time. So Fred, how will this uh, how will this affect people that maybe would be a grazer, where they'd have maybe a lot more milk production in the second quarter, and maybe a lower milk production? So they're not using actual production for the second quarter; they're using actual production for the first quarter, and then a multiplication factor for the second quarter. Yeah, and what they're doing is allowing for on trend, you know, as we look over a calendar year, we get into spring flush, so there's more milk produced. And, you know, that uh, 1.014 figure is what they're using. It does create an interesting question for grazers because, or seasonal dairies, that their first quarter production can be practically zero. And I have not had a good explanation on on how that's going to be resolved. Uh, the way it's worded right now, because it's based on production, if your cows were in their dry period, you're a seasonal producer or a grazer, that you know could hurt pretty bad. I know, Fred, some of the questions I've got from producers, and as you mentioned earlier, this is really a moving target. Uh, but a couple of questions. Initially, there were some rumors going around about if you forward contracted any milk in that fourth quarter, that that would not be covered. There's there some discussions going around about uh, cull cows. Will they be covered during that period of time? Uh, baby bull calves that maybe potentially have been sold. There are some payments for beef. Can you kind of touch on maybe a couple of those topics that I've gotten questions on? Yeah, early on in the discussion, you know, they were saying that contracted milk would not be eligible. And in the clarification we had uh, beginning of the week, they said no forward contracting milk milk enrolled in RDP or DMC are going to be eligible. So that I don't think will will be a, a problem. Now when we start talking on the beef side of things, we've got to remember that, you know, you will be eligible as a farmer probably on several different categories. Uh, if you produce corn and sell it, you can look at that. Beans, you can look at that. Asparagus, you can look at that. And milk. So be thinking that sole proprietor, you have $250,000 limitation. So if your milk is your big commodity, you need to look at that first. And if you have room between the 
payment and the cap, then start looking at your dairy beef for your call calves. Uh, the clarification said that call calves will be able to be included uh, on the beef side. So uh, there was no mention of bob calves or, or your small calves. Uh, at this point, I don't know the answer to that. It's one of those we'll let you know as soon as we find out. The other thing, you know, since most farms are, are mom and pop and that's how they file, you know, it's $250 payment limitation. But if there's multiple partners or an LLC, you can each have 250000 up to a total for the entity of 750000 if you've got 15 partners in a large dairy, you can get 750000 and that's where it's capped. I've got another question, and maybe Kim would know the answer to this, or Fred. A lot of our farmers, and it relates to the cropping issue or the corn, a lot of our corn inventory on farms is corn silage. Technically, they sell that to the dairy, um, not probably to the market or farms that may have corn or high moisture corn and be feeding that over that period of time. Is any of that eligible or is that just the cost of doing business of your dairy farm? Let me try to address that. As I read the actual uh, cost-benefit analysis, what they're saying is the product that is sold in final form. So if you're selling steers to your buyer, that's in final form. If you're selling milk to the co-op, that's in final form. And selling silage to be consumed by cows to make milk or selling silage to your feed yard to, to make uh, steers grow, that's not final form. So as I read it, I don't believe that your forage that you're feeding is eligible. I'm really impressed with how quickly the government is is moving on all of this to combine a couple of acts together and uh, in, in provide funding back to our dairy producers. That's that's pretty significant. We started out the beginning of the year going into some great milk prices with projections of increases throughout the year. And then very quickly that rug was pulled out from under everyone's feet and uh, basically overnight took a $5 to $6 reduction in milk price. You know, it's interesting when we were making recommendations or working with producers, I think all of us here were saying, you know, you look forward in 2020 and there may not be a lot of payments on your dairy margin coverage. Uh, you know, even some of the months with RDP really wasn't showing a, a lot of benefit. Uh, times can change pretty fast, you know. It uh, really uh, makes us understand that it's insurance. And we probably should have really pushed to have sign up for all the years of the farm bill uh, because you just never know. Uh, when one of these situations is going to arise. 
Yeah, I think one thing it really points out that farmers need a risk management plan. I mean, we've had these run-ups and if you follow milk futures at all, these class three futures are up uh, two or three days in a row, the limit, then they're down virtually the limit two or three days in a row. So I think all farmers, even with all of these payments, I think really need to be thinking about a risk management program. And when you see these run-ups and you look like you can capture some profit in the market, I think there's some advantages to whether you're working with a broker or with your co-op or with an insurance agent. I would just encourage everyone in this extreme volatility to really start looking at a risk management plan because I, I think we just really need it because as Fred, you pointed out, and Kim, I think was even better in pointing out that there's no way we could have predicted this drop. And I know this is really an exception, but still, when, when we get these run-ups, I think we need to really say, is this price sustainable? Can I make a decent living and determine whatever works best on your farm to really try to mitigate some of that risk? You know, when we look at row crops or other commodities that have an insurance program, a fairly high percent is, is covered that way. And yet we're looking at around half of our milk is actually covered in a, a risk management program. And I think that really points out that, you know, right now is the time not necessarily to uh, say, well, what dollar will I make money? But know what your cost of production is, and then start looking, how much do, can I afford to bleed? You know, if I got a seven, I think this morning there was some 1720 or so milk on the market. If I can lock in that and I'm only losing 30 cents, that's a whole lot better than actually when the the month comes and you're going to lose a buck in a 30 cent. So I, th I think that's maybe setting the floor is where we need to have the, the mindset right now instead of looking for that month where we have this big margin and lock it in. Because I just don't know if we're going to see that. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does to me. I'm a dairy farmer looking into this program, looking into this funding that is going to be opening up the end of this month. Do we expect funding to run out? Do we expect the, the budget to be depleted rapidly? Well, I think I'd want to be first in line at my county office. You know, we just don't know what the response is going to be. We, we assume that, you know, these billions of dollars will will make the coverage available to people that want it. But that last statement when they said it may be less, depending upon the final payment there, if they run out of money, uh, I'd want to be in the front of that line rather than the back of it. Yeah, exactly. That's the same advice I've been giving to our producers in Nebraska as well. Um, you know, they have a few days to prepare and, and find out all the information and details and be the first in line at the office. Thank you, Jim and Fred, for your time today. Uh, I'm Kim Clark with Nebraska Dairy Extension, joined by Fred Hall and Jim Sulfur. Uh, we're pleased that you can join us on our I-29 Moo You podcast. Join us next time. I-29 MooU is an equal opportunity provider. For the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to extension.iastate.edu 
forward slash diversity forward slash ext.